God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Dun, dun, dun.
Tidings of comfort and joy. What a great song. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord on a beautiful, warm, sunny, 25-degree morning? Anyhow, we are blessed you're with us. Let's just rise to our feet. It is a wonderful day. It's the Lord's Day, and I love this song because it talks about joy to the world. Are you grateful that the Lord has come? Joy, unspeakable joy. Let's worship Him, and let's praise Him.
many of you have joy in your heart? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen. I love Sundays before Christmas. And this year, we're blessed to be in the house of the Lord on Christmas. So that means that all the little people, I want you to open up your ears. Listen to what Pastor Todd has to say. 3 a.m. in the morning will come so soon. So you just open up all those gifts at 3 a.m. in the morning. And mommy and daddy and all the king's horses and all the king's... Oh, sorry, that was a Humpty Dumpty. Anyhow, they'll all be up and ready to go for church at 10.30 a.m. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something special for this year. It's a Christmas concert. It's one hour. So we want to respect your time because in all reality, when little Johnny and little Susie get you up at 3 a.m., you're going to be tired. And so we want to make sure that you are awake for the service so you can get back home and get that nap in before you have that ham and turkey and all the other traditions that you have at Christmas time, whatever those traditions are. So anyhow, but what better time than to celebrate the birth of Christ on his day. Well, on the day that we at least recognize it, right? So, but I am grateful that we're here today. For some of you, I know you have commitments, and I know that you have appointments, and I respect that as well. Enjoy the time with your family. Enjoy these moments before, because they're fleeting. And yet, we all get to have the great privilege. I know for myself, I'm always blessed to have my family with us. We get to do life together. We do church together. So it's a blessing for us. Not everybody has that privilege, but for me, it's always great to see my kids. So I'm glad that they're all grown up and out of the house. And uh, I hope my granddolls all wake up their parents at 3 a.m. in the morning so they'll be ready to go at... No, thank you. Okay, well, I know you're like, that won't happen. I remember one year... I'm kind of going off here just a little bit, but I remember one year the girls were up like by 6 a.m. and they were sitting down there and they had all their gifts. It was me. I was the one up at 6. Okay, I figured. I was 13. And then she put all the gifts around them, had everybody ready, and they were like, Mom and Dad, it's time to get up. You know, so I'm glad that uh, we were able to celebrate and we're like, okay, give us some minutes, like a lot of minutes, like 120 minutes, and we'll be down. But anyhow, those... Again, those are the years that go behind us, and they're by us, and it's quick. So anyhow, but I want you to turn and look at somebody real quick and just say, good to see you today. Welcome. It's great to see you. I know. All right. I just wanted to do that before handshaking time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we honor him and praise him this morning. Father God, we love you and we thank you that your spirit is here with us and that you're among us. Father, we are blessed that today we get to worship you and praise you. Father, it is truly joy, unspeakable joy. Father, for many of us, the events of the season of, of the celebration of the birth of Christ are already here and people are getting together this weekend and sickness is among us. And Father, I pray that you will heal those that are, are maybe burdened or bound to their home because uh, this cold season is among us and people are not feeling well. And so Father, be with them. Father, be with those that today might have said, you know what, I'm going to listen to New Hope. May we be an encouragement to those listening. And Father, may you just touch them and, and anoint them as well. Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate this season of Advent, this, this celebration of Jesus Christ. And Father, I love you. I thank you that your spirit is here with us, and we welcome your spirit into this place. Father, we pray 
that you will bless your people today. Lord, we've come to adore you. And so, Father, we thank you that we are here in this room, in this place of praise, prayer, and worship. For, Father, you are with us, and we glorify your name. Thank you for coming as our Messiah. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Remain standing as we sing, O come all you faithful.
Well, a good morning. You can go ahead and make your way back to your seats. My name is Pastor Luke. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. We just want to say thank you for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in, or maybe you're watching later this week. Just a few quick announcements. We will have we will have New Hope for Recovery on Thursday. Doors open at 6.15 with dinner, and then our meeting starts at 7. We do still need food for this week and next week. No, we're all good? All right, next week good too? All right, we're all good. Never mind, we don't need it. But we will need it in January, so if you can help provide a meal for New Hope for Recovery on Thursday nights, we'll get the sign-up sheet out for next year. We'll have it out next week, but if you can do a meal anytime you can see me or trish and we'll get you penciled in saturday is christmas eve our christmas eve service just a very intimate short but blessed service it starts at six o'clock come out be a part of that and then on sunday like pastor said we will be having a concert pick up one of these invite somebody on sunday just a wonderful time to be in the house of the Lord. Other than that, I don't have anything else, but thank you for joining us today. Oh, I always, I always do this to him. He's probably going to smack me one day, but I seen Troy back there. Uh, there will be a parking lot and ushers meeting right after church. Where are you having that, Mr. Troy? Right up here. If you are a part of that team or you wish to be a part of that team, we do still need help. Please join that after church. Thank you for joining us today. Amen. And yes, I do look forward to our Christmas Eve service. That's the time of the year where we, we participate and partake of the Lord's Supper. So it's a beautiful service from outside to inside. As we have a candlelight service, uh, we get a chance to stop and reflect and uh, take the Lord's Supper and remember what He's done for us. And uh, if you've never been to a Christmas Eve service at New Hope, we invite you to come. I am very mindful of what you have going on Christmas Eve. So... Uh, you, it starts at 6 promptly, and then you're out of here by 7 o'clock. So we want to uh, honor and respect each and every person that comes out. Invite your family and enjoy just a time of, uh, of probably one of the greatest uh, services that we have, I think. And, uh, you know, the only thing we've got to remember is that when you are dealing with a flame, to be careful. And uh, sometimes it takes us a good month just to clean up some things around here because it drips everywhere. But anyhow, it's, it's worth it. And, um, you know, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and to glorify your Father which is in heaven. We sing a song and it's called Hallelujah. We go right into Agnes Day oftentimes. And in this season of Christmas, we remember, you know, what, what is Agnes Day, the name of God, the name of Yeshua, the name Jehovah saves. And we realize that Jesus is the one who came to save his people uh, from their sins. And so, you know, in this season, I, I'd like to just say, you know, no matter what you're going through, and Christmas can become difficult for you, and I want you to stop and say, you know, but Christ today, I want to focus on you. I want to reflect on you. And, and uh, this is the time to do it. Christmas Eve is the time to do it. You know, Sunday mornings are a time to just stop and say, God, I I know I've got a lot of these distractions. Help me to stay focused more on you. So let's rise to our feet as we worship the Lord and we go into a Christmas hallelujah.
Can you imagine what the angels must have sounded like when they were around the manger scene of the newborn king? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. In this song, it says here again, we can never experience the Christ of Christmas if we don't welcome him into our hearts and into our lives. Let's sing together.
You may be seated. 
That's one of those songs that just says it all, huh, preacher? Amen. You know, the, the wonderful thing about the Lord's in this place is then he, he follows that up with a promise that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. So always hold on to those, those truths, those principles, and those promises from God the Father that he's never going to leave us no matter what we're going through. When we feel like nobody's there, we can convince ourselves that he's still there, right? Amen. So that's how we encourage ourselves. If you have your Bibles, lift them up. We're going to do our Bible decree together. Good to see all of you guys. It's good to be here. Say it with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. You know, I was standing down there. My thought went through my head as, as that song was on. And I know I come up here and I sing with the praise team and, and we'll lead or what have you. But, you know, I was like, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I, and, I, and I was over there and I thought to myself, wow, how amazing must that Christmas morning been like or evening because it was dark out and uh, I won't get into all of the, the details of the time when the Christ child came, but, you know, he came into the world for people that were doubting who he was in a time when a decree went out and, you know, and Herod was out to take him. And, and because of the, the decree Caesar Augustus put out there, we realized that uh, people were after those children, there was there was a reason for that, and I can't imagine what it must have been like for the shepherds and and for the angels and to think to themselves, you know, not for a minute was I forsaken. You know, at that time the Messiah hadn't come, and we know that the prophet Micah and Malachi and Isaiah they had foretold the prophecy of the coming of the Christ child, and it even says that out of a dry ground a root shall come will spring forth, and we start to see that prophecy is being fulfilled by the Messiah that is here, and that is the Christ of Christmas, and yet they're in Bethlehem, and you know, as they're at Bethlehem, they're, they don't even realize that the Lord is in this place, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. That's a sermon all in itself. That isn't even what my message is about today, but I will tell you that there is power, not only in the cross of Jesus Christ, but at the birth of Christ. I mean, what a great celebration when they were saying glory to God in the highest, and the shepherd boys came and you know the animals were around think about it if he can get two by two by two by two by two by two into an ark can you imagine what it must have been like to just be at that scene and to be able to see you know the Christ child think about this for they said there was a star in the east so they saw a star but what I feel that the scriptures really saying and if you don't understand the scriptures you'll start to see it unfold and it is actually the Shekinah glory it is just a beautiful, bright light, and they felt and sensed the Spirit of God. How cool is that, right? It's cool because I think that we see Christ 
in a lot of areas of our life. We experience him, but we doubt who he truly is. And I think this season of Advent, I know for me, and looking at uh, the Christ of Christmas as I've been preaching on, you know, what is the significance of it and looking at Emmanuel, God with us, putting aside all of the other stuff, you know, what is Christmas about? What are we missing in Christmas? What is it that the churches are missing in Christmas? What is happening to families at large? What's happening in the workplace? As I was going through this, you know, in this past week, I started thinking, what can I preach on that will be relevant? And, and I'm always trying to see it. And I think this stage really uh, portrays who your pastor is, because I will say this. I believe that the Bible has so many wondrous stories and mysteries to behold and to be had. And we understand that, you know, I'm not going to come up here and give you guys something new that you haven't already heard. You know, we know the Christmas story. We know the story of Bethlehem. We know that Jesus is, you know, Nazarene and he's a Nazarite. And so we start to, we, we start to see the scripture. But much like this stage this year, it reminds me much of the Bible. If you open up the Bible, I believe that it reminds me of when we were little people. And you open it up. And you see the text, and you see that it comes from God, but yet I believe that it looks three-dimensional. So I believe that there is something that's always to be had and to learn from God's Word. So it pops up. And for me, I have to make sure that it pops up because I love the Word of God, and I have a passion for the Word of God, but I want to see it in, its all, in all of its creativity, if you open up the word of God and you start to think, oh, this is boring. Maybe I'm reading in my King James Version and I'm not really getting the these and the thous and the begottens and all the other words that come in there. Then I would recommend that you find maybe the New Living Translation or the American Standard or English Standard Version and just enjoy reading the word of God and so that the word comes to life and it's not just another book in history that it is the word of God because we realize it says in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God that is Emmanuel with us now I'm going to move forward here and I want you if you will please to look up Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to be talking about that component, that missing part that I don't think people really talk about much, and that's the innkeeper. And I'm going to ask you a question as we start off today. What kind of person are you, the innkeeper? Has God given you opportunity that you've slammed the door on? We've got all these doors. We've got revolving doors, automatic doors, doors that, that open for us and shut for us. We have all kinds of doors, but, we, but are you just standing at the door? What opportunity have you had that you have not been able to let people see in your life that he is the Christ of Christmas? I think many of us can say that there is a lot missing in the Christ of Christmas. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse number 1. It reads this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Verse 2, And it came to pass... As it says there, then the census first took place while uh, Cyrenius was governing uh, Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Who is David? That's the big question, right? 
What is David? What is the significance to who David is? And then it says to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. Interesting. It says that he, they went to where? Where did they go to? What was the town called? Okay, we're going to have a little quiz here in a little bit, but I'll, I'll get back to that in just a minute. The word Bethlehem actually means house of bread. Watch. Jesus becomes the bread of life. So when you see the pop-up, when you start to see the scriptures come out, you start to see, look what God does. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's like a wonderful orchestrated band that just swells with beautiful music, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that Jesus needs to come to Bethlehem, that he is the bread of life, and even when we take communion, it says as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. That's the bread that's broken and the blood that was his body that was poured out for us. That's what we take, and we remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection through the sacraments and through understanding what communion is all about. So as I, as I move forward here this morning, we're going to ask an important question. How do you get the most out of Christmas? How do you get the most out of Christmas? The full experience of Christmas. Yes, you'll watch your favorite Christmas shows or you watch your favorite Christmas movies and you'll decorate the house. You know, most people don't do tinsel and lights. But as I was writing this down, I want to ask, how many of you have tinsel in your house? One, two, three, four. Look at that. You're not, see, people still, when you're done with your tinsel, do you put it in newspaper and fold it up or a magazine or a book? Do you take it off one by one? You are all amazing. I want to commend all of you today. Because when I wrote down tinsel lights, I kind of laughed and I said, there aren't any tinsel anymore. People aren't doing tinsel. But you, got, you are to be commended. Church, do you agree? And then when you take the tinsel off, amen. And when you take the tinsel off, you have to put it in a book. I remember as a little kid, because of my ADHD, I'm like, I'm going to tear into this tree. This tinsel is not coming down the same way it went up. That is it. I'm angry. I was like, what are they trying to do to me? They're torturing me. One little tinsel, two. And, and I'm looking at this big, fat, live tree, and we've got tinsel on it. The back in the day wasn't even flame retardant. I don't care what they say. But this thing is crazy. So anyhow, I know we're busy with the Christmas holidays, and I know things go on, and, and we're decorating our trees, and, and all of this stuff goes on, and we have the festivities, and I know it takes us time to do. It took me four days to do decorations in the house. Put up trees, place this here, place that there, make sure it looks perfect, and if it doesn't look perfect, you, what you think looks perfect, which nobody else cares, and that's my big thing, then you take it off, and then you put it back on, and you stand back, and you look at it, but does it even matter? Nobody's even looking at your decorations. My wife goes, I am. <laughs> Honey, and that is why I do all of it for you. Because you are special to me. <laughs> she does. Okay, this is not in my message. I'm going crazy today. Maybe I just need to drive home a point. We'll all just 
go celebrate Christmas. Amen? So when the girls were little, because we knew they'd wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning, you see how I'm just, I'm, I'm planting those seeds for your children. You're listening, aren't you? Come on, 3 a.m. That's, yes. Anyhow, and, uh, but I would always, around Christmas, thanks, Emma, I was thank, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Becky would lay on the couch, and she, we put on Mannheim Steamroller, and the music was just orchestrating through the house, and I would decorate the trees, and I always wanted to decorate the trees, so when the girls got up in the morning, they would do things like, ooh, ah, and all these things would be like, amazing. Well, we did that, and my wife said, honey, I said, yes, sweetie, do you mind if I fall asleep right here on this couch? I said, I don't mind if you fall asleep on this couch. I'll be here as long as the job needs me here. I'll see you sometime in the morning. She'd doze off. She'd wake back up. Honey, it's looking good. Back to sleep she'd go. But you know what? That was after she got rid and ate all the bonbons. That's how that worked. So Christmas time, sometimes we miss it because we're all doing crazy stuff, right? So I want to ask you this. Uh, how, not, how well do you know the Christmas story? How well do you know, you know, what the Christmas story is all about? I want to give you a little quiz here this morning. And, uh, and I'm going to ask you these questions to see how well you do know. And uh, question number one, Joseph was from A, Nazareth, B, Bethlehem, C, Arimathea, or D, Russia? Don't answer. And we go on to the next question. So then, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem by a camel, a donkey. Were they walking? Or did they take a minivan, stopping every hour for a bathroom break? Man, you understand you turn 50. That's just what happens, right? Or E, we just don't no. Okay. So now, there was no room in the inn because, A, the cold-hearted innkeeper. There was a song like, she's a cold-hearted snake. Oh, that's, that's the innkeeper. I said it was the Grinch, right? Didn't let him in. I can't believe it. The cold-hearted innkeeper. Then B, the online reservations were lost. Or C, the air condition was broken. How well are we doing, church? Are we missing Christmas, or do you truly know the Christmas story? Jesus was born in an inn. Jesus was born in a barn. Jesus was born in a guest room. Or, think about this, was Jesus born in a Holiday Inn Express? Just asking, that's all. All right, and then the last question, because I want to kind of spark your mind going here. A manger is a... One, a feeding trough. Two, a stable for animals. Or is it a farmhouse coffee table restored by Joanna Gaines? That's all I wanted to ask you this morning because I know how important it is. I want to thank all of you today for joining our game show and thank you for doing this quiz with me. Uh, and, and here in just a minute, we will re, we will, uh, I will show you the results shortly. But I want you to listen very closely to the story and to the message 
in the coming moments for some of the answers that you'll find in this. To experience the fullness of Christmas, look at the faces and reaction of those who were first involved in that Christmas story so many years ago. Having looked at the shepherds near Bethlehem, we turn our attention to the Grinch of Christmas. That is the innkeeper. So if you want to avoid missing Christmas, pay close attention to the reflections of joy, of awe, and of the wonders of the faces of those who first experienced the magic of the holiday. But to prepare you for the upcoming Christmas season, I want us today to look at the Grinch of Christmas, the innkeeper. So one, don't miss where Christmas took place. I want us to look at verse 7 again. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It was during his term as vice president to John Adams, it was said that Thomas Jefferson asked for a room at the main hotel in Baltimore. The hotel manager, Mr. Boyden, did not recognize Jefferson as he had no servants with him and was dressed in dirty working clothes. Unfortunately, the manager turned Jefferson away. And after Jefferson left, someone informed the manager that he had just turned away the vice president of the United States. The manager was mortified. He sent the hotel servants out into the city to see if they could find Jefferson, then offer him as many rooms as desired. And one of the servants finally found Jefferson, who had registered in another hotel. When, he, when they gave the offer to Jefferson, the response was much like this. Tell Boyden that I value his good intentions highly. But you see, if he has no room for a dirty farmer... He shall have none for the vice president. A story like, like this makes us immediately think of Christmas and of Jesus' birth. We can't help ourselves because we stop and we look at people. We view them on the outward, not understanding who they are on the inside. Some of the greatest people may not be that attractive on the inside. They're full of life and joy and love. Don't underestimate the angels that we minister to unaware that might show up at your door, that might cross your path. So let's look at the traditional view of the Christmas story. Generally, the traditional view of the Christmas story goes like this. The local hotel was full in Bethlehem that Christmas night, Joseph and Mary arrive late in the night, and they see no vacancy sign above the inn, and the heartless innkeeper wouldn't allow pregnant Mary to even come inside. Why is that? Because all the rooms were full due to the census, and the innkeeper was more worried about profits than a pregnant woman. No other option. Joseph takes his pregnant wife to an animal stable where the child is actually born. But we have the Christmas story wrong. Because we want to include an extra character that wasn't really there. The mythical, the mysterious innkeeper. Jesus was born in an inn? No! 
There was no Motel 6. Inns and hotels didn't even exist in Jesus' day. We have to realize that, but you probably wouldn't find a Marriott in the small town of Bethlehem. Now watch, Bethlehem was not on any major road in Jesus' day and probably didn't even have an inn. It was a town that had a real small population of only a few hundred people, and inns existed in cities that attracted a lot more travelers. Now, just stay with me. I don't want to lose you here today. I'm going to preach the word, and that's what I'm, I want to bring to your attention. I doubt that there was even a Motel 6 in ancient Bethlehem, much less a Marriott. And if there was no inn, then there was no innkeeper in the original Christmas story. So here's why. Because here's what the scriptures say, and then we start to see in the latter part of Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what it said, and let's look at it again. Because there was no place for them in the inn, is what it says. Some of you are thinking right now, Pastor, you're wrong, because the word inn is right there in the Bible. Don't you see it? Now watch. The very same word for in at the end of verse 7 is the very same word that we find in Luke chapter 22, verse 11, where it's translated this way. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now they said he used the word guest room, but that is the same word that was used for in. It was tra traditionally translated as in. At Jesus' birth is the word guest room. Now watch, because I'm going to give you a little bit of history here today. Jesus is referring to the upper room here. And this is certainly no inn. And you'll start to see this very, very quickly. If the very same word means guest room later in Luke's gospel, it will have the same meaning in the beginning. And the word translated as inn in Luke chapter 2 verse 7 is simply a generic word that means a place to stay. Gives us some, some thought, doesn't it? Plus, when Jesus does talk about the in later in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he uses a different Greek word to describe a commercial in, where a man was paid for the use of a room, which we find in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, where he says, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in an oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and it says, and took care of him. So if Luke wanted to tell us the place where Jesus was born was an inn, Luke would have used the word in Luke chapter 10, verse 34 as well. So the English word inn is misleading actually in the Christmas story and moves us off base when we picture actually the real Christmas story. Verse 7 should really read this way, because there was no place for them in the guest room. Hmm. Interesting, huh? I know for years, I found myself always picturing the nativity, a stable, a stall, and that's kind of how I did it. But if you look at it, it's pure fiction to picture a heartless innkeeper who turns away Mary and Joseph. Because here's what happens. And here's the myth. Jesus wasn't born in an inn. Where was he born? And I'm so thankful that all of you asked me that question this morning because I could, I could just tell. And this actually leads us to our second myth and the mystery of the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph were turned away by everyone. So here's how it works. They stayed with family. Well, how do you know that? 
because this is where the story unfolds and it becomes very interesting for me. And as I was studying this, I thought, this is interesting and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know because this is the word of God. Joseph and Mary would have stayed with family in Bethlehem because here's what it says in Luke chapter two, verse four. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of who? Of David. While Joseph lived in Nazareth, his ancestral home was Bethlehem. Joseph would have had family in the town of Bethlehem. Remember that Joseph is a part of King David's family and David's name was the biggest name in all of Israel's history. Joseph was in the royal line of the earthly king. We preach about it, but we don't see it. That's where I find it interesting. When I started a month ago in regard to the lineage of Jesus, and we went down through Matthew where it says that he was part of King David's family. And because he was a descendant of King David, many doors in the village were open to him. You see, unlike our American culture, families in ancient Israel would have insisted on hosting their relatives when they were in town. Since Joseph and Mary were originally from Bethlehem, they would have had distant relatives there to stay with. Hospitality was a big deal in ancient Israel, and especially to families. Even if there was an inn, they would have passed it by in order to stay with family. It's just what you did. They would have gone straight to the house of the relative. We know the story. Where did Mary and Joseph end up going before they ended up in Bethlehem? They went to Judah. Pregnant Mary visited Judah before the birth. Why? Because Elizabeth is kin. They're family. Why did it say that they didn't stay with somebody else? Now think about this. And again, I'm not trying to teach anything you don't already know. But the more I started looking at this, I thought, this is interesting to me. Because Mary was in the very area of Bethlehem before the birth when she visited her relative. I won't go there, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says, into the hill country to a town of Judah. So the trip, or this trip from Nazareth, of this area took about an hour by car, even today on the modern highways. And it was considered a trip from Mary to see Elizabeth. No doubt she thought it was worth it. They had family in the area, and they knew them, and they would have wanted them to stay with them. So now you start to see here that even the people of Bethlehem turned Joseph and Mary away. And the couple would and could have turned to Mary's relative, Elizabeth, who was nearby. But, but we know how the story goes, and we know that God is in control. Look to the person next to you and say, God is in control. Do you believe that today? I'm glad you said it like you meant it. So here, so now we go right into Jesus' birthplace, right? So we start to see if Jesus wasn't born in an inn and if Joseph and Mary had stayed with family while she was pregnant, where then was he actually born? So let's revisit verse 7 again. And I know I keep saying this because we're talking about Jesus' birthplace. And here's what verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, Joseph would have taken Mary to stay with their family in Bethlehem. But there was no place 
in the family's guest room. Just as verse 7 suggests, perhaps Mary and Joseph stayed in a family room because the guest room was already full. Mary didn't have the necessary space to have her baby in one of those guest rooms. Imagine, just for a minute, now think about this. Every one of Joseph's family was in town for the census. The house is full of guests. The house is full of relatives, right? Men, Mary has to go through the very painful and messy delivery of having the Christ child. With the guest room and main living areas full, Jesus was placed in a manger to sleep just as Luke describes. So why a manger? Why do we see the manger? Because archaeologists have shown us that poor peasant families had the manger inside their homes. Why? Why did they? Because animals were kept inside the homes of the poor at this time. Now, I know you're starting to watch the whole uh, nativity scene open up, and you're starting to see, you know, really what took place. But I want you to see what the scripture has to say as I'm building up to this. Animals were in a separated room on the first floor in what we would consider basically like a sunken room. Every morning, the animals would be let out, and the animals would be returned or would be returned back in the evening. So no one would steal them. And in this kind of house, we would expect to find this. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And what'd she do? It says here that she laid him in a manger. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough. Interesting, huh? Wait a minute, I thought he was part of the lineage of David. I thought he was part of the royal family. I mean, shouldn't, but think about this. If you were looking for some form of comfort and you were going to a place and everybody was going to this small town, we all have to realize you do run out of space. There's just not enough room. So they found a place that was befitting because prophecy was being fulfilled. And that's what we see here. Later on, we realized that Jesus would then be moved from the feeding trough, and animals then would stick their snot in that trough to do what? To feed. So now we're building up, and now we see the shepherd's sign. Later, the shepherds were given an important clue on how to identify the correct baby when they came to Bethlehem. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, what? Lying in a manger. So you will find a baby lying in a manger. The combination of a newborn baby's wrappings and the use of the manger for a crib would be a distinctive sign for them to see who he was. Now, you've got to think about this. There might have been, with all the people going into town, I was thinking about this, there might have been a lot of babies there, right? There could have been a ton of babies around. But one significant thing that was said, you will find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes that night in Bethlehem. But only one was lying in a manger. Hmm. The manger made the shepherds know that the Christ child would be like them of little means. He was from their side of the tracks. He wasn't born in a mansion, but in a manger. Now, we're going to talk just, to, I'm going to open up a door here, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Lamb of God. I'm going to teach you something that I hope that you'll be able to see and, and embrace. Why 
in the manger? Why the shepherds? Well, one thing we start to see in the scriptures is shepherds had a great responsibility. Now, we're going to back up the scene just a little bit, and we're going to talk about the Lamb of God. Okay? So when we back up the scene, you start to see what does it take for Passover. In the Old Testament, they used to take a young lamb, sheep, what are they, yearling? Is that what they're called? I don't have this in my, I think it's called, yeah, thank you. And uh, I appreciate you listening. One, just kidding. And uh, so they take that sheep. Now, here's what the shepherds do. They take that baby. They wrap that little baby in swaddling clothes. You know why they did that at the Passover? The reason why they did that was because that lamb was to be slain as a sacrifice and atonement for God. Now, if you're wrapped in swaddling clothes, that means you're very tight, right? Swaddling clothes are also used at death. What a significant picture of the birth of Christ, the lamb that was slain for our sins. So he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger because he came, he lived, and he died. Now, the reason for the swaddling clothes is because you could not make a sacrifice for God if there was blood on any of the, the lamb. If there was any blood at all, so they wrapped it so they could present this sacrifice as holy and pure. Cool, huh? So now the shepherds knew about it because the shepherds were the ones that had to take care of the spotless lamb that was slain. And so what did he do? He took the guise of lowly means of a humble life and said, here's where you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And we start to see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, here's what it reads. And it says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of this world, but was manifest in these last times for you and for me. Awesome, isn't it? To think that there is always significance. Why swaddling clothes? Why the lamb? Why sheep? Because here's what the scripture said from the prophet Isaiah. Here's what would take place. It says this, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Behold, church, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Interesting. That spotless Lamb. So the shepherds knew. Think about it. How well do you know Jesus? And if he spoke to you, would you understand the significance? Or would you just say, well, I'll do it. I'm going to do this out of my faithfulness. I'm just going to do it because I feel led or, you know, because there's proof of it. But I believe today in our Christian life, faith is such an important factor to our Christianity. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. 
to what now? So the story of Jesus' birth is not the story of a harsh innkeeper. It's the story of the royal king in the most humble of beginnings. The first time Christmas came, he came not in strength, but in weakness. He came to the poorest of families. You can miss Christmas if you embrace the commercialization of Christmas. Just two years ago, Christmas retail sales surpassed $1 trillion. That's a lot of zeros. I've never wrote down $1 trillion. That's a lot of money. He was anything but a normal child, but he was given the humblest of births. And if you're going to find Christmas, look for Christmas not in the mansions of Hollywood, but in the manger of Bethlehem. So don't miss where Christmas took place. Don't miss why Christmas takes place. Now you can know all about where Christmas took place. But unless you know why Christmas took place, you'll miss Christmas. And to experience the power of Christmas... You have to understand the why of Christmas. And let me show you this, and I'll wind down the message. Because Christmas is enormously, enormously, did I spit it out like I was supposed to? Important. I try to make, like, big. This is enormously, right? I was like, how big is big? I don't know. Dictionary says enormously. And it's enormously popular. More than 100 Christmas movies were released last year alone. That's how popular Christmas is. However, I love what Pastor Rick Warren did a survey of his own asking shoppers about what they were celebrating at Christmas time. Listen to the response that, that he received. One person said, I'm celebrating I made it through another year. Another person said, I'm celebrating being home with my family. Still others said, I got a Christmas bonus my son is home from Iraq. I'm celebrating I finished my shopping. I'm not celebrating anything. I'm just trying to survive through the holidays. And all these are great, and I would probably enjoy each of those two. But did they miss Christmas? We, we notice when you turn on the radio, from Thanksgiving on some stations all the way through Christmas, they play 24 hours of Christmas music. And you can listen to Christmas music, what, all day and all night. And yet, you can do all this and still miss, really, and truly, the essence of Christmas. What is Christmas about? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. It's about gifts. And people are like, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? It's about gifts. If you're going to have Christmas, you have to have a gift. Let me say that again. If you're going to truly have an experience with Christmas, you have to receive a gift. And th there's just this little funny thing. It's called regifting. For some of you, you don't know what it is, but I'm sure that if I had to ha ask you with a raise of hands, how many of you regifted before? Some of you would say, I have, but I'm a little bit embarrassed. I was with my mom last night, and I, I was telling her, I said, listen to this story of somebody regifting. I said, that's one of those things. And mom says, I don't know that I've ever regifted. I said, mom, are you being honest with me? Because just because you can't remember doesn't mean you didn't do this. <laughs> Regifting is when you pass on a present that you have received to someone else to, to save yourself, what, time, money, and effort, right? I don't have time for this. So I came across a poll that reported 52% of those surveyed admitted to regifting a present. 
but only very few people got caught regifting. Listen to this. One man regifted a wedding present only to find out later that there was a $300 check that was included within this box. <laughs> That'll teach you a lesson. Listen to this. Speaking of gifts, here's a child's letter. I like what this child wrote to his grandmother about her gift. And, uh, and I always say this. Nobody can be as brutally honest as a child, right? And uh, here's how the letter went. Dear Grandma, thank you for the Christmas present that you sent to me. The present you sent to me for Christmas was almost as good as the one I really wanted. <laughs> so if you're going to have Christmas, you have to have a gift, right? Here was a wife's dream. Here's what she said. A wife excitedly told her husband that she had just dreamed, I mean, just dreamed that he had bought her a diamond necklace for Christmas. And the husband responded to her story by bringing his wife a beautifully wrapped gift, nicely decorated, and the bow was gorgeous. As she eagerly tore open the wrapping to see her diamond necklace, and once she opened up the gift, she found a book entitled, How to Interpret Your Dreams. So here's the thing. Three qualities to God's gifts. You can easily miss Christmas if you don't get the most important gift, the one gift. God's Christmas gift to you. God's gift to you has three qualities that make it a must-have gift. First, it is the most expensive gift you'll ever receive. Why? Because it's priceless. Jesus paid for your gift with his life. And then second, it's the only gift you'll ever receive that will last forever. And then finally, it is an extremely practical gift. It's a gift you'll use every day for the rest of your earthly life. So in Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he also says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Am I doing okay, Jay? For by, we have a little joke going on. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We cannot just miss this, this Christmas. Not this year when we need so much hope. Think about this. Imagine a family reunion without the family. Or throwing a surprise party for your brother's birthday, but he's absent. Or imagine going to see the Cleveland Browns and only to... That was interesting. For those listening, you didn't hear it. They said from the audience, and they win. And I actually was going to say, only to find out there's no football team on the field. And that's exactly what is going on with much of Christmas celebrations, right? But if you're going to have Christmas, you have to have a gift. So imagine for a moment that the cynics and the skeptics are right. God didn't have a son. There's no Christ, no heaven. There's no Christmas. If Jesus were to completely be removed from the equation, Americans could continue to celebrate Christmas with hardly any interruptions whatsoever. If there were proof Jesus was never born, people would still decorate their houses, and they would decorate their workplaces. They would give, and they would receive presents. And take the day off work. And if Jesus had never come to Bethlehem, Americans would go to parties, stand in line with their children to see who? Santa Claus. 
and listen to wonderful songs on the radio about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Jack Frost and chestnuts roasting on an open fire and all the other world peace things that go in with that. But again, if you're going to have Christmas, you have to have this gift. If you're going to maximize Christmas for all that it's worth, then you have to have God's gift to you, the gift of his son. So I'm going to say this as we wind down. And as I conclude, we're going to look what God planned it. So we, we circle back to Jesus and Bethlehem for a moment. As, and as I conclude, and, and, and I, I, hopefully I was able to bring some points out to you this morning that you can see from Bethlehem and from the nativity story that maybe you never even thought about before. But why was there no place for Jesus at his birth? It was because God planned it that way. Nothing about Jesus is like the kind of king the world expects. Because he didn't have the academic credentials. And he didn't have the social status. His father and mother raised the young Jesus where in Nazareth. So it wasn't just that Jesus was born in a feeding trough where animals fed. But he grew up a Nazarene. And years later, a man named Nathaniel says of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Everyone looked down on this backwater town, but God purposefully arranged it so the Messiah would grow up here. Jesus wasn't anything like the normal political rulers. He had the wrong credentials. He didn't come from the right school, and he didn't have the certain look. This world says you have to come from a certain place and have certain credentials to be somebody. But church, Jesus was none of this. He was born in a feed trough and was raised in a backwater town. And God planned it that way. And this is why God moves into our lives. And why is this? It's just not that God loves the underdogs, but that he came as one who was weak to save those who admit they are weak. And Jesus' followers consistently asked him one question again and again and again. Jesus, when are you going to take power and save the world? And at the climax of Jesus' life, and when others encouraged him to declare himself king, he turned loose all his power to go to the cross and Jesus keeps saying, you don't understand. I'm going to lose all my power and die to save the world. So at the climax of his life, he ascended not to a throne, but to a cross. And this is the reason you want the gift of Jesus. He came as our substitute to bear evil. He came as our substitute to bear suffering. He came as our substitute to bear death and the consequences for our turning from God. I like this song, and I'd like you guys to play it. And I'm going to conclude my message today with this. We know this song. It was written by Philip Brooks. He was one of America's greatest preachers in the 1800s. He was often referred to as the Prince of the Pulpit. And was a big man standing in at 6'4", 300 pounds, much like myself. Yet in 1865, Brooks made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. 
And on Christmas Eve, he rode on horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and visited the usual sites of that village. As darkness fell, he stood for a while by the cave where the shepherds saw the angels and the glory of God. He then went to worship to a worship service, what is known now as the Church of the Nativity. There he worshiped from 10 p.m. until almost 3 a.m. He said it was one of the greatest experiences of his life. Well, three years later in 1868, he was searching for a new Christmas carol for his children to sing. So he sat down and he started to write a poem about his powerful experience. He gave a copy of his poem to this organist. She was also the Sunday school superintendent, Lewis Redner, and asked him to compose a simple melody that children could easily sing. Well, Redner struggled with this for several days. Finally, on the evening before the program was to be given, he said he awakened in the middle of the night and sat down and wrote the music, as well as the medley. He said until he died, he knew that this was truly a gift from heaven. We know the song, is, and you can hear it. It's called A Little Town of Bethlehem. And that song actually captures the beauty of Christmas. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And we all know the last stanza, and this is how it goes. O child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. O holy child of Bethlehem, why was this gift of Jesus born in such a humble place? Would it have been fitting for the one who was destined to die naked on the cross to be robed in purple at his birth? Would it have been appropriate for the one who was buried in the borrowed tomb to have been born in the Buckingham Palace? This divine king was born not in a mansion, but he was born in a manger. From the manger forward, this king would have no guards surrounding him to prevent the sick from easily touching him. But for all of his transcendence, he's lowly. And he would be lowly and humble all the way to the cross. Do you accept this story of Christmas? Have you missed the true meaning of Christmas? And I hope that you can walk away challenged today, as many of you will be emailing me. Where in the world? Never heard of that before. The inn? Well, I think for many of us, we're much like that gift that's set outside, beautifully wrapped on the front porch with many other little gifts. People walk by that gift. They don't even understand that, yes, it's there for decorations. But in some cases, that beautifully wrapped gift has something special on the inside. 
People walk by us every day not understanding that you have something special because you've received the greatest gift of all. Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Messiah. So will you not forget the Christ of this Christmas? Don't miss the opportunity to spread the gospel and tell others that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the name of our Messiah, the name, name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's rise to our feet as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we are challenged by the message of Christmas. Father, help us to open up our hearts and our minds. Father, help us to remember the gift of giving this season. Thank you for sending your one and only son who came, who died, was wrapped like a spotless, pure, perfect lamb, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger to die for the final sacrifice for all of humanity. Oh, Father God, we thank you that in the supernatural, you brought life into the natural. Father, today, may all of us remember Christ this Christmas. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together, exalted over all. Maybe you've been challenged. Maybe you've been sad this Christmas. Don't miss the Christ of Christmas. Come and give your life to him. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you come to him today? Because from heaven's throne, he came from to us. heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross. We'll never know the sacrifice you made. For all our sin and all our shame, you took the nails, you took our place. No one else could do what you have done. One name. One name is higher. One name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over
may I encourage you, don't miss Christ this Christmas. Enjoy your week. And if I don't see it till next year, because we're two weeks away, amazing, isn't it? Then you have a wonderful Christmas and enjoy your holiday. And remember that he is our Messiah, that he came as a spotless lamb, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger to live, to journey, to die for each and every one of us. But hallelujah, he rose that third day and we get to celebrate that as Christians. So don't miss Christ this Christmas. Walk in freedom, walk in victory, and God bless you. If you signed up for a New Hope for Recovery sweatshirts, they are in, just see me afterwards. And if you did not order one, we do have a few extras, you can see me. 
Father God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here together today. We thank you for the gift of your son, for the gift of eternal life, that we get to lay down all of our burdens, all of our heartaches, all of the things that hold us back, and all of our sin. And we get to lay it down at the altar, and you take it away. We pray, pray a blessing on each and every person here today. Reach down during this season for some that's hard and comfort them. Let us look to you for guidance and rely on you every single day. We pray this in your gracious and most holy name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you, and we hope to see you on Saturday at Christmas Eve service.